Good morning. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the, uh, the senior pastor here at New Life. And um, as I was preparing to, to preach this week, I thought I would have, we'd try something a little different. Um, how many of you have ever told someone that you love them? Not like, well, let me get, not like your mom, but like, but like someone you were dating. Anyone, just, just three of you. You guys are very romantic crowd here. You're like, I reserve that for no one, right? Okay. Um, just once, let's hope. Um, it's, it's risky. It's risky to do that. It's risky to tell someone that you love them, um, and, and it's a big deal. Uh, I still remember the first time I told Katie that, that I loved her. Um, we, were, we were hanging out in my, in my parents' hammock. Nothing was going on. Don't worry. And uh, you <laughs> cut it out. And so we were, we were just like talking. I was like, man, she said something funny. I was like, I love you. And she was like, say what? <laughs> it's risky. It's risky. You don't know what someone is going to say back. And it's never a good day when you look into somebody's eyes and you say, I love you. And they say, I like you too. <laughs> You're like a brother to me, right? Come on. That's never a good day. Look to your neighbor and say, that's not a good day. It's not a good day when, when somebody says that to you. Um, I love my wife. We've been married for almost 19 years, and which means that I'm, I'm, I'm coming up to that age where I've been with her literally almost the same amount of time that I've been without her. And, uh, and so that's, that's going to be a, a, cool, a cool time where it's like, man, I, I actually don't even remember much of my life without you. Um, love's a funny thing, though. It's hard to measure. It's, it's a hard thing to like kind of quantify. And so I want to try something with you. I've got some, a pad of paper here. Um, I, I want... I want you to kind of think about this, like, like it's your job to interview me to find out if I really love my wife. So I want you to think about this, like what question would you ask to, to really get down to like, does he really, does he really love her? So just can you raise your hand, um, blurt it out, whatever you want to. Yes, over here. How much time is this? You're talking about that quality time thing that she likes. Okay. How much time? Yes. How much time? Okay. Yes. Ooh, do I respect and trust her? What did, did you say something about death? What did you say? Died for her lately. Not yet. Not today at least. Have you died? For her lately, or would you be willing to die lately? Yeah, okay. What else? Yeah. Do I nurture the dream that God's put in her heart? Okay. Nurture. That's a good one. Dream. God put. Okay. Yeah, right over here. I don't know, Dan, will you? <laughs> Do dishes, even when tired. Yeah, what else? Yes, back here. Are you what? Mm, come first, yeah, I get that. After God, of course, I get that. First human, yes. Anything else? Yes? Let her have a dog. That's a, that is true love right there, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't like dogs, that's, that's very true. Okay. All right. Anybody else burning with, with a question? What do you got? <sighs> Stop asking these ladies the questions, you know what I'm saying, guys? try to know her and nurture her dreams. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm doing a good job here. Try to know her, not just, not just what? It's not just spend, not just watch ESPN, not just spend time. 
Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. We're going to get back to this. Whew. Wow. All right. You guys are much better than first service. I'm just going to say that. Um, um, so we're going to read just a moment in John chapter 21. And uh, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week in the end of John chapter 20. Um, and this is a portion of scripture where Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Um, and I want you to imagine how intense of a question that would be. Like, put yourself in that situation where Jesus turns to you and singles you out and looks into your eyes and says, do you love me? And if your answer is yes, then, then how would you know it? Like, what would it look like? How would you know? Like, if you're like, yes, I love you, God. How would you, how would you quantify that? How would you measure that? So I thought it would be interesting to kind of take a look at our own definitions. Um, how would you know that you love God if he says, do you love me? Well, you try to know him, not just spend time with him. Hmm, that one's good. Um, <laughs> would you let him have a dog? That doesn't work, no. <laughs> we could switch it around a little bit and are you willing to nurture the dream that he has for you in your life or the, the dream that he has? How much time do you spend with him? Quality time do you spend with him? I love you. I love you, Lord. How do we measure that? Well, how much time do you spend with him? Do you respect and trust him? Do you trust him with everything? Have you died for him lately or would you be willing to die for him? Is he the first place in your life? Is he, does he come first? Or is it you or somebody else? Are you willing to do the dishes for him? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Maybe we can relate that too. Are you willing to do some menial tasks for him just because he asked you to, even when you're tired? Or do you want to just do the things that, that, that are like flashy and everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing, right? Are you willing to do the behind the scenes stuff that nobody else wants to do? Yikes. I think it's interesting. Now, of course, not all these apply, right? They don't all, we can't take every single one of them and be like, okay, yeah, these, every single one of these apply to our love for God. But I think that it is interesting, it's eye-opening, and it's really helpful for us to use our own definition of love and our measurement of love to look at our level of love for God. Because now we're not looking at it of like, okay, yeah, this is a self, this is a God-imposed measuring stick. We're just saying, no, this is my, our measuring stick of love. It's helpful for us to take a look at that, to really take a look at when we say we love God. Well, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? We said last week that faith that is your own is faith that you own, right? That, that faith is, is that, that is actually yours and not somebody else's is something that you own, and so it works in the same way for your love for God. Like your love for God has to be your own love for God. It can't be your mom's love for God or, or, or your spouse's love for God. It has to be something that you own or else it ends up looking a whole lot like you're going through the motions or you're doing things out of routine, void of passion. You're just kind of showing up. You're, 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 you're checking in. You're just, you know, I'm just kind of not really wanting to know you. I'm just spending time with you because you like that apparently. So I'm doing that. Congratulations. But I think it's really easy for us, and it's really important for us to think about this question because it's really easy to act like and look like we love God when we're at church. And we get the Sunday school answers, and we're like, yay, Jesus, when we're surrounded by people, hundreds of people that love God. But what if every single person in this room hated God? Would you still love him? And this, this is the heart of the question. I'm creating some tension in you because this is the heart of the question that Jesus gets to in our scripture this morning to one person, Peter. And I want you to, I want you to crawl into this because I think it applies to you, to us as followers of Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 21. Um, I want to give you a backstory a little bit um, because even though this is about seven disciples, it's really focused in on one disciple, Peter. He's the central figure in this story in John chapter 21. Um, Peter, just so you know, in case you're like new to this Christian thing, Peter is known as like a outspoken, 
passionate, risk-taking, kind of emotional guy. Like he just kind of runs into things and then figures it out later. He's like a bull in a china shop, right? He just, that's, that's who Peter is. And in John chapter 13, we just talked about this when we were receiving communion together. Jesus is gathering his disciples around. They're having Passover and he telling, he's telling them, hey guys, look, I've told you this before and I'm telling you again, I'm going to be leaving. Like you're not going to, we're not going to have this anymore. Like I'm going to die and then I'm going to be, I'm going to rise from the dead. And, and Peter blurts out, he's like, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I, I'm going to die for you today, Jesus. Right? He just, that, that's how he just communicates his love to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and this is what he says to Peter. He says, very truly, I tell you that before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. Whoa. Okay. And sure enough, John chapter 18, Jesus is arrested and Peter is gathered around this kind of little fire huddled trying to keep warm with some soldiers and a little slave girl. And the little slave girl says, hey, you're with Jesus. Yeah, I've seen you with him. And three times, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. And of course, he feels horrible about this, as anybody would, right? Like, I mean, especially a guy that literally says, I'm going to die for you. And then that very same night denies even knowing him three times. This is, this is a little disconcerting. Like, and he knows that he's, that he's disappointed Jesus. And he's, he's got to feel this like all kinds of junk going on. And he's not only feeling like he's dis- disappointed his Lord, but that he's also disqualified himself from his destiny. Have you ever been there where like... <laughs> you feel like, man, I, I've screwed up. Like I sinned, I did this thing, and therefore I am disqualified from my destiny. God had me on a path and one bad decision has set me on another path that I never thought I would be on. And, and maybe, maybe you've never been there. I'm just telling you, it's, it's so, it is so simple to, to, to just get in that place where you've sinned, where you've turned, where you've made a decision and you're all of a sudden on a path where you're like, I never could have even dreamed or had a nightmare that I would be in the place that I'm in thinking that your failure determines your future. This is the stuff that's going on, and um, Peter feels terrible about it. Um, and I want you to, if, if you can relate to that, I want you to pay close attention to this story. John chapter 21, if you'd stand with me to, to honor the reading of God's word, I would appreciate that. Um, John chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, we talked about him last week, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, and, but they, that night they, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, hey, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and then maybe you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Verse 7, when the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards, which is actually far for me. Um, When they landed, they, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be certain. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is when it gets interesting. When they had finished eating, Jesus looks to Simon Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. Like, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, and do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. And those of us that are here today that maybe feel like their failures are dictating and determining their, their destinies, Lord God, I pray that you would speak clearly a word of redemption to, to not just to Peter, but to people who feel like they've done too much, gone too far, sinned too great, that, that the redemption of Jesus Christ is, is, is not enough to be able to redeem them. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak your heart, your will. And as you ask that, that, that question to us, do you love me, that we would be able to wholeheartedly answer you, yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated. So um, it's just like a really sobering, like, like portion of scripture. Um, it starts out with Simon wanting to go fishing. It's like, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Well, fishing was his livelihood, right, before he started following Jesus. In fact, when he first encountered Jesus, he was fishing. Jesus came in and was like, hey, you know, like, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And, and so this was a very, like, familiar thing for, for Peter to be doing. And some have said, I've, I've studied up on this stuff, and like some have said, other preachers have said that his decision to go fishing was a decision to quit following Jesus. In other words, like, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I'm going to go fishing and give that up. I'm hanging all that stuff up, that ministry hat, and I'm going to now just go back to what I knew. And I, I personally don't think that the text supports that. I think that that's pretty drastic. It just says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them in verse 3. And they said, of the other six disciples, let's not forget it, wasn't just Peter. There's seven of these guys. They're all like, we'll go with you. We'll, we'll, we'll go. So six other disciples, apart from Peter, go fishing with him. And they, they may not be leaving ministry. They may not be saying, well, we're, we're not going to follow Jesus anymore. We're going to go pick up this fishing business. And we're going we're gonna to start you know, selling and, and buying and all this stuff. We don't see them necessarily leaving ministry, but we do see these seven guys out of the 11 that are left a little bit out of sorts. Like they're kind of like, I don't quite know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. We have been following Jesus these past, what, two and a half years or so. And it, like we have been doing this. We've been following him, following him, following him. Now he has died, risen from the dead. He's here, but he's not here. He shows up randomly. What are we supposed to be doing now? I'm confused. I've been following, and I've, I've been a good follower, but how do I lead? What exactly, what exactly should I be doing? And they just decide, well, let's, just, let's, let's go fishing. Because what we know is to be true is this. What I know to be true in my own life is that our present struggles can lead us to relive our past. What, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting to me that when our present circumstances get overwhelming, the first thing we do is to go back to our past. We go back to do our past addictions, our past sin. We go back to our past way of thinking. Why? Because all of a sudden now, our present, the junk in our present, the struggles that we're coming up against are so overwhelming and we're uncertain. We don't know what we're supposed to do. So we choose, okay, you know what? I don't know what to do here, so I'm going to go back. We go to relive our past. Because that worked for us, didn't it? Well, not really, but it, it's what we know. It, it, it's, it's in some ways all that we know apart from Jesus. So these guys decide, you know what? I don't know what else to do. So let's just go fishing. Let's go. And they're like, oh, I'll go with you. So they all hop in a boat and they start fishing. Follow with me in verse three. It says they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Horrible night of fishing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And I love this. I love this because this, like, if you, if you remember back in the beginning of the Gospels, how Jesus first encountered and first met and first called his followers, this is almost a direct reenactment of what he first did with them. 
It's the same deal. Professional fishermen, not catching anything. All night long, up walks Jesus on the shore. Have you ever noticed that sometimes trying to disengage with God is where we end up engaging with him? You ever found that? Well, you think like, okay, you know what? I, I, I don't quite know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to go back to my past. So I'm going to disengage and I'm going to go someplace else where God isn't and all of a sudden he shows up. So we're like, I'm going to disengage. I'm going to go to the golf course because that's where I know I'm, I'm going to get away from the thing that, that God, I'm not going to go to church this week. I'm going to go do something else. And all of a sudden you realize that God shows up. Why? Because wherever you are, there he is. So that so many times we think, if I'm going to just disengage with him, then, then that's going to work. And we find that that is the same place where we end up engaging with him. In verse 5, this man, a football field away, I want you to capture this, get, get, a, get a mind's eye of this. Football field away, he calls out to them. They can't really see him. And he says, friends, haven't you any fish? And the NIV is really being kind to, to, to this. Because if, you, if you've got like the New King James Version or another, another version, um, the Greek word that Jesus uses is actually the word children, little kids. Essentially, and I have a hard time because I, I, I struggle with sarcasm myself. I have a hard time not reading into this that Jesus is like, hey, boys, hey, kitties. How are the fish biting? And he knows they're not catching anything. It's almost taunting. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, did that guy just call us kids? Like, we are professional fishermen, thank you very much, right? Hey, kids, catch any fish today? They're like, no. No, we haven't. And I wonder this, like, why does Jesus do this? He knows they haven't caught anything. They know they haven't caught anything. Like, why in the world does this, like, this taunt almost? Like, why, why would Jesus do something like this? And I was, I was praying about it this week. The Lord just revealed something to me, and it's this. Like, I think it's because God always wants us to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. You've got to be honest with yourself about yourself. Why? Because he can only heal who you are, not who you pretend to be. So, so, so many times we want to act like we got it all together. Like, oh, yeah, I'm catching fish. Really? It doesn't look like any. Oh, yeah, they're here. I threw some in because they're puny, right? Like, you're not, you, how, how, how's, the, how's the fishing? Everything's great. Thank you. I got this. You seem to be struggling a little bit. No, everything's good. I got this covered. Thank you, Jesus. And I will tell you, Jesus needed his disciples and he needs us to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. He needed these guys to be honest that they, had, that they had fished all night and not caught anything. That they had tried as hard as they could in their own strength and they could not accomplish it. This was important. I, th I find so, many, so often that God is continually humbling me and, and, and calling me to be honest with myself about myself. Why? Because it's the only way that he can heal me. He doesn't heal who you pretend to be. He heals who you are. And this is what he calls these guys to do. Verse 6. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Boys, maybe you'll find some there. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, this seems very similar. All of a sudden now, Okay, this story is almost like a direct reenactment of the day that they first met, the day they first started following Jesus. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, all of a sudden they realize, all of a sudden really John realized from a football field away, this man that's yelling, taunting us from the shore, that's Jesus. That is him. And they know that they know that they know that they know that it's him. And I love how they respond. Well, I love how Peter responds. This is what happens in verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, listen, seriously, John, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. In other words, I recognize him first. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he, he wrapped him, his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and he jumps into the water. I mean, Peter just like a football field away, he just jumps in. He starts 
furiously swimming towards Jesus. I mean, just crazy. Like he's just, he just all of a sudden like jumps out of the boat and starts, and starts heading to it. I mean, almost like he's in a movie, right? I mean, just like, and he just starts running, just running off and just, just starts swimming, just starts swimming. And it's so preposterous to me. Why? Because he could have just stayed in the boat. I, I, don't, I don't know many people that can outswim a boat. They must have just been like, hey, Peter, you know, you just, you can just hop in, dude, like we're going the same direction. He's like, no, I'm going to go see Jesus, right? He's just literally just going just because, why? Because it's for Jesus. Because I'm committed. And sometimes I, I hear people that will try to, uh, well, for lack of, lack of better words, put out the fire of a young Christian who's got some zeal and some enthusiasm, Right? I'll hear people be like, oh, you just give it a few years of being a Christian. Like, you'll settle down. You'll settle down like me. You'll just be joyful like me, right? Like, yeah, you got a lot of zeal and enthusiasm, but just wait. You'll be cantankerous in no time, right? They try to put that out. I, can I just say that the, I don't think that that has how the, the normal Christian life is supposed to look like. I love how Peter jumps out of the stinking boat and just starts swimming towards Jesus. Just start swimming towards him. And, 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 and the, this miraculous catch of fish, this, this, this man calling from, from the shore, all of a sudden is bringing Peter back to the moments where he first encountered Jesus. It's bringing Peter back to the encounter that changed his life, that set his life on a new course from that point forward. Because Jesus continues to catch us the way that he first caught us. You know that? Jesus continues to catch us the way that he first caught us. In your notes, it says this, the way that you first turn to Jesus is the way that you return to him. So if you're in this place where you're just like, you know what, I just, I, I don't quite know what to do. I feel like I'm too far gone. I've been doing this. I've sinned. I've failed. I've, I just don't quite know how I'm supposed to get back on track. I just want you to know the way that you first turn to him is the way that you return to him. And this is the story of Peter. He's returning to Jesus the way that he first turned to him. He could have sat in the boat and been ashamed. He could have let all of his like, failure just kind of mount up and be like, oh, yeah, okay, I don't know if I really want to see Jesus because I don't know how he's going to react to this. Why? Because failure can fog up your vision. When we have failure in our life, we think like, oh, it's, it's overwhelming. I can't, I can't, uh, it's a mountain that I can't climb. I can't get over this. I can't get past this. I'm too far gone. And it fogs up your vision. But I want you to see this. What failure needs is a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Sometimes you think, well, actually, I just need to like talk about my failure more. Like, I just need to be like, well, how do you feel about your failure? You know, Peter, are you sorry about what you did and denying Jesus? And how do you think you're going to make up for that failure? You know, how, what, how, how, how bad do you feel about that? Let's talk about that, Peter. Let me just tell you, what set Peter back on track was a fresh revelation of who Jesus was. He didn't have to talk more about his failure and how he screwed up and how he needed to make up for it. It was a fresh revelation of who Jesus was. And then in verse 9, it says this. When they landed, they, they saw a, a fire of, of burning coals with, with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So get, catch this. So Simon Peter climbs back into the boat by himself, and drags the net to shore. It was a full of large fish, 153 to be exact, but even with so many, the net was not torn. This picture that we get of Peter is like a maniac. This guy's like, he's like looking like he's in a strongman competition. It's from like, I think that's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat, swims 100 yards, gets out, goes back to the boat, pulls. I got this guy. He got six guys to help him. Nope, I got this. Everyone back off. I'm doing this for Jesus, right? He starts pulling all by himself, 153 fish to shore. I got this, Jesus. I brought all the fish to you. I just, well, well Peter, I didn't need 153. I just needed a couple. Are we going to eat all 153 this morning? Well, no, I just, I just want you to be happy, Jesus. Like, I, just, I was hoping that like, if I did enough stuff here, then maybe I could make up for it, right? That would be, that would be, that would be the right thing to do. That's, I want you to be happy. He's got to be tired. He's tired because he feels guilty. He's tired because he's just trying to do things in his own strength. So they sit down and they eat breakfast. 
In verse 15, it says this, when they finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and this is where it gets really, 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 really awkward, because there's seven guys around this, they're eating fish and bread, and they're just having a good time together with Jesus, and Jesus looks to Peter, and he singles him out, out of the crowd, and he says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Whoa. I mean, that's a penetrating question to ask someone. Imagine Jesus singling you out and looking at you in your eyes and saying, do you love me more than these? And scholars have debated, some of you might be wondering, over what Jesus meant when he said, do you love me more than these? What was he getting at? What did he mean by that? What is that? Did he mean, some people say, well, when the more than these was he loved, did, did he love fishing and his fishing business and all of that stuff and this old way of life? Do you love me more than you love that old way of life, Peter? Or some say, well, you know, do, you, do you love me more than these guys love me, these other guys? Do you love me the most? Or do you love me more than you love my friends and these friends here? Do you love me more than these and so people have kind of wrestled around, like, what is it that Jesus meant? Here's the thing. I think he could have meant all of it. And I think that if we get hung up on, what did exactly did Jesus mean? Then we miss the point of what Jesus was trying to make. I think he meant to say, do you love me more than life? Do you, do you love me more than these? Because if you do, I want to tell you, Peter, my destiny for your life has never changed. Your failure has not changed my plan for your future. Yeah, but, 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 I, but I denied you three times. But I haven't been living up to what you, 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 you told me that I was, you know, I, I failed you. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Because if you do, then your failure does not determine your destiny. And I think that's a word for someone in here today that you need to hear. I'm sure this was a bit disarming for Peter. We see in verse 15, this is his response. He, well, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, same words. He answered, well, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because well, this is the third time. I'm like, Jesus, are you not believing me? What, am I selling this? What, am I, what do I need to do? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. And Jesus asks three times, do you love me? Can I just say that I love how Jesus can ask one simple question that drives straight to the heart? Straight to the heart. Notice what he doesn't ask Peter. He doesn't look at Peter and say, hey, Peter, do you believe in me? Peter, do you, do you have faith in me? Peter, do you still think that I'm the Messiah that you, remember you said? Remember you, you said that you're, that, that's what it was, right? Peter, do you, how sorry are you for denying me? Can we talk about that, Peter? He doesn't ask any of those questions. He simply says, do you love me? Three times. And I think Jesus asks him three times to settle the score. Three for three. Now here's the thing, though. Here's the deal. Jesus settles scores differently than we settle scores. Why? What do I mean by that? Well, we like to settle scores by humiliation, shame, and retaliation. Like, you, you hit me, I punch you, right? Like, you punch me, I stab you. Like, this is kind of how this works. You know, we, we like to settle the score, so tit for tat. We go back and forth, back and forth. We try to settle the score in many ways. When we are in a deficit to somebody because we've hurt them, we try to settle the score by making up for it. I'm going to do enough good things to make up for my bad things. I'm going to have perfect attendance at church. I'm going to serve in 15 ministries here. I'm going to sign up for every single life group. Everyone? Yes. Everyone. Even the women's? Yes, the women's group. I'm in it. I'm leading it, right? You know what I mean? Like, what? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swim a football field to Jesus for Jesus. I'm going to single-handedly drag 153 large fish into shore for Jesus. Why? I don't know, but it's for Jesus. Like, I'm going to do this because I need to make up for my failure. I need to settle the score, but Jesus settles the score so different. He settles the score by offering Peter the opportunity to say, I love you every, for every time that he said, I don't even know you. What? How is that settling a score? He does it not to bring shame to Peter. He just knows that there's power in speaking something out loud. He's speaking faith where there was doubt. He's speaking faith where there was fear. And that settles the score. This is what Jesus is. Jesus asks him this three times, a seemingly un, unnecessary question. Do you love me? And this, this, this wrecks me because honestly, as a pastor, as your pastor, by all outward signs, I love Jesus. I mean, if you were to ask people, hopefully you'd be like, yeah, yeah, Pastor Justin, he loves Jesus, right? Well, how, are you, how do you measure that? Well, you measure it like my temptation is, you know, if Jesus looks at me in the eye and he's like, hey, do you love me? I'm like, you know that I love you. Look at all the stuff I do for you. Like, you, Jesus, you know that I love you. Like, I've given my whole life to you. Like, I'm a professional Christian for you. Isn't that, isn't that, aren't you happy? Like, I, look at all the stuff that I'm doing for you. Jesus, of course I love you. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he looks just at me, and he looks just at you, and he says, yeah, I see it all. I see what you're doing. But do you love me? Do you love me? And I think to myself, may I never, <laughs> may I never confuse my obedience, my serving, my preaching, my attending, my leading, my exercising of spiritual gifts with loving Jesus. Those are very different things. This is why this question rattles around on the inside of us trying to find a place to rest. Because it's a hard question to answer. Do you love me? And, and how do you know if you love him? Let me just say, the way Jesus defines how we love him is certainly not how I would define love. It's not any of these that I have in my back pocket that you guys all talked about. Literally, he says, if you love me, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, and I don't know about you, but like, ah, uh, what, what, what do these people, these other Christians, these lambs, these sheep, what do they have to do with you, Jesus? Like, really, like, if I love you, why do I have to take care of these people? Like, why do I have to care for, for these people? And so many times, I want to, like, present Jesus with an alternative. I'm like, when he says, do you love me, I want to be like, uh, well, yeah, I do. Like, how about if I just come to church every Sunday? Is that good? You like that, right? You like it when I show up to church, right? Jesus is happy when I do that. He's like, feed my lambs. How about if I just give you some money? You like when I give money, right? Like, could you just, here, how much do you need, Jesus? I don't want to hang out with all these weird people, these Christians. Could I just, can I just write you a check? How much you need, Jesus? He says, if you love me, then feed my lambs. How about if I just stop swearing? a real problem for me. I could just stop swearing, and then you would be, you like it when I don't swear, right, Jesus? Like, when I don't say, beep, 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 right? You like that? Like, that would make you happy. And he says, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. I feed my lambs. In other words, this is what he's saying. So let me, let me strip all of this lamb and, and sheep terminology out of it. He's saying this, if you love me, then you will care for those I care for. Oh, no, you didn't. If you love God, then you'll care for those that he cares for. Jesus is saying, your love for me is not measured by what you profess. It's measured by what overflows in your life. In other words, do you love me? Yeah, you know that I love you. Okay. But your, the measurement of your love for me is not measured by what you say. It's by what spills over. 
If you love me, I feed my sheep. And Jesus has some pretty extraordinarily funny sheep, doesn't he? Some bedraggled, weird sheep, right? He's got some awkward sheep, some budding sheep, right? Not budding, like budding sheep, right? Sheep that have gone astray. He's got all kind of sheep. And I want you to notice that Jesus did not ask Peter, do you love my sheep? He didn't say that, did he? Why? Because the answer might be no. <laughs> do you love my sheep, Peter? Uh, that guy? No. He says, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Why? Because God's sheep can be unresponsive, they can be critical, they can be unappreciative, right? And so if you are serving and loving and feeding God's sheep out of guilt or out of duty, in the end, you will be defeated and you will be discouraged. That's why God doesn't say, do you love my sheep? He says, do you love me? And if you love me, then love my sheep and care for those that I care for. Why? Because your love for Jesus is the only sufficient motivation that will enable you to truly care and love for those that God loves and cares for. That's what he's saying. It reminds me of my cat. I, um, <laughs> I have a cat. My family has a cat, I should say. Um, I don't like cats. Never have liked cats. Um, I just find no redeeming value in them. And um, I know, I know, I know I just made some enemies. Just save your emails, ladies, okay? Um, I, just, I just don't like cats, never have, never liked cats. Um, now, but I, but I do love my wife. And my wife loves cats. And uh, it was like, as I was studying this week, it was like Jesus said to me, if you love your wife, then care for her cat. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, no, Jesus. If you love me, then care for those that I care for. Oh. So guess who feeds, buys all of the food, and, and changes the cat litter every single week? This guy. This guy who doesn't like cats. I think that there are, most of my family, they're not even aware that we have cat litter in our house. I'm not even kidding you. They would be like, oh, where does the cat go to the bathroom? In the basement. You don't know? Is, I change it every week. No, they have no idea. They all love a cat. I, I don't like cats. But if you love your wife, then, then whether you like it or not, she likes cats. And whether you choose it or not, that cat is now under your care. That's why Jesus says, do you love me? And if you love me, feed my sheep. Care for those that I care for. Why don't you stand with me? In um, John chapter 21, <clears throat> it continues, and uh, it gets even more awkward if you've ever read this portion of scripture, I mean, it is like wincing um, how awkward some of this is. Um, in verse 18, it says this, Jesus starts talking to Peter more after he says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. Um, then he starts talking to Peter about how he's going to die. <laughs> this is a, it's a weird conversation. <clears throat> he says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus is speaking, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. This is a very awkward conversation and not a fun one to have. And then he says to him, follow me. In verse 20, I love this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. He's like stalking, right? He's like, this is the guy. This is the guy Jesus loves. Um, this, and it says this, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? There's a little bit of rivalry going on. When Peter saw him, he asked this question, Lord, 
What about him? <laughs> I don't think you're getting this. I mean, this is weird. He's, Jesus is talking to Peter about how he's going to die. So Peter, just, this is how you're going to glorify me through your death? And Peter's like, okay, all right. What about him? How's he going to die? <laughs> what? What? I'd like to know that. How's John going to die? We're always in competition with everything. He beats me in everything, even though I'm faster. What, 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 what's going to happen to him? Can I just say that I love this question? Because how often I do this. I don't ask God about like when you're going to die. Like, please don't feel that way. But, but Jesus is dealing with me about something. And I'm like, well, what about him? He's a mess. And Jesus is like, well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. And we're, we're dealing with this. And I wanted to address this in you. Oh, okay. But what about her? Jesus, did you talk to her about it? Because she needs to be talked about with that issue. And Jesus is like, what, what, do you, what, what do you want me to do here? Why? Because I get distracted when I look at other Christians, when I look at other people that are more blessed than I am. Like, why am I? What about, what about me? What about them? What about me? What about her? What about him? Well, they're, they're getting all this. You ever been around somebody that's just like, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed. I just got a new car. Somebody gave it to me and I got to raise it. I'm making another 100,000. It's so amazing. And you're like, shut up. Oh my gosh, I'm so hashtag blessed. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to puke on you, right? Just get out of my face. Have you ever been that way where you're just looking around at other Christians? And you're like, well, what about her? What about him? And what about me? And so I get distracted when I think that other Christians have it easier than I do. Why do they get like streets of gold and I got like mud in April and Maine? When the heck, why in the world do I have to go through this? I get distracted when, when I think that God's plan for somebody else's life is better than God's plan for my life. Seriously? They get this and what about me? What about me? What about them? What about her? And I love, I love to compare myself to other people to make myself feel better or to feel equity or to feel fairness or comfort in the midst of an uncomfortable situation. And this is exactly what Peter's doing. He's like, well, what about him? And if I could say anything to you is this, beware when you take your eyes off of the Lord and start to stare at other Christians. Well, what about her? I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Verse 22, I love how Jesus responds to it. He says this. <laughs> he says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? I want you to catch this. He's like, Peter, if I want John to never die, what does that have to do with you? Well, it would mean a lot. I mean, you just told me I was going to die a horrible death. What about him? What does he have to do with you? If I want him to literally be immortal and never die a death, what does that have to do with you, Peter? <laughs> Jesus is talking. He says, you must follow me. In other words, what about him? What does that have to do with you? God's plan for each of us is the same. Follow Jesus. That's it. Our stories look different, our past looks different, and our present looks different. God's plan for us may, may, may appear different, but his plan for each and every single one of us is to follow him. And for maybe some of you in here today, you, you can relate to Peter. You feel like, man, you know what? My, my failure has, has forfeited my future. It's determined my destiny. I don't really even know. I, I've, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I, I, I've, said too, I've said too little. I I literally don't know how to get back on track. Maybe you feel like, you know what, you've got these present struggles that look like a mountain in front of you. It's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to get out of this. So you're going back to your old way of living and you find yourself, you walked in today and you're still hung over from the night before. Or you're like, man, I just don't understand why I just keep going back to the stuff that never worked. But it's the only thing that I go back to cope with because my present is so difficult. I don't want to do it, but that I do the things I don't want to do. Or maybe you're in a place where you're taking your eyes off of the Lord and staring at other Christians around you and saying, like, I don't understand why they get something and I don't. 
I don't understand. I don't get it. What about him? What about her? I want to pray with you this morning. If you just bow your heads with me. If you're in, a, in an area, maybe you're in a, in a place in your life right now where you can be like, man, I totally can relate to where, what Peter's going through and I'm struggling and I'm in this place where I feel like I don't know if I can come back. I don't know if I can return to Jesus. I want to, but I don't see a way through it. I feel like my struggles are too big. I want you, just between you and Jesus right now, I want you to just raise your hand and just say, God, I need you to speak to me today. I need an encounter with you today, Jesus. Just raise your hand, just between you and him. Just between you and him today. And I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, for those that are identified that they're in that place today, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself. Lord, that those that feel like their future is, is completely abandoned because of the state that they're in right now. God, I pray that just like you spoke to Peter, just like you spoke to me, just like you spoke to others, God, that there would be freedom where we, where we think that there's an impossibility. Lord, you are the God of the impossible. And so, Jesus, I speak over the lives of these people right now that raise their hands and say, I desperately need to hear and get a touch from the Lord. Lord, I pray that they would get a fresh revelation of who you are, that you are not waiting there with your arms crossed, waiting to just go through the litany of things, but that you're there to welcome them with arms wide open to a love and to a grace that they've never thought was possible. And so, Jesus, I, I, I just pray prophetically over, over this congregation, God, that we would come to know you, not as a, as a father who is, who is holding back his love and withholding his grace, but a God who goes above and beyond and makes a special visitation to a man who denied even knowing him three times to restore him and let him know that his failure does not determine his destiny, that he has more planned and that he's not to quit. So Jesus, I pray that over each and every single one of us today. Lift, lift, lift. I pray you would lift up the eyes, lift up the heads of those that are, are, are turned down. That there is hope, that there is a future beyond their present reality. Speak to them. Give a fresh revelation of who you are today in Jesus' name. As we, we're going to just lift up God in, in this last worship song. If you've got I just want to say this. If you've got a prayer need in any area of your life, if there's a physical prayer need, whatever that looks like, I'd love to have the opportunity to, to have you come up right along here on the front. We'll have a, some, a prayer team that will come alongside and, and pray God into your situation. Whatever that prayer need is, we don't want you to feel like you need to leave this place without being ministered to by the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray that today, as we lift up your name in worship, God, that you would draw men and women to yourself, men and women that feel like they're too far gone, I've already tried this and it didn't work, God, that they, they would give another chance in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would draw them outside, that they would choose to not just uh, ride the boat in, but that they would jump in and swim. Lord, that they would run hard after you. We ask that you would be made famous in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.